Today, I, I want to talk to us about the necessity of proclaiming the gospel. So I want to really just, you know, emphasize the, the importance and, and, again, the necessity. Paul actually uses that language in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. And this is pretty much the text that I want to launch out from. Uh, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And so Paul just, you know, for him, it would, this was a necessity. And I want us to understand the necessity of proclaiming the gospel. So one of my prayers for this new year, you know, of course, as we come to new year, you're always thinking about vision. You're always thinking about what God might do in the year to come. But one of the things that I've been praying about and will continue to pray for is that in this new year, we would see more people than ever come to know Christ. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's the mission. You know, there, there's all kinds of aspects to it, but that is the mission, that we would see people come out of darkness into the marvelous light of the kingdom of God's son. Um, James Meeks is the pastor of Salem Baptist Church in Chicago. And I uh, met James this past week, actually, and I spent the week with him and another, uh, a number of other pastors from around the country. Uh, but he told us a story this week that I think is very uh, relevant to what I'm talking about today. So he told us that a few years ago, uh, his church did a year-long evangelistic outreach. So kind of like we're doing today. So we're in the first couple of weeks of the new year. And, you know, as, as they launched into a new year, he got up and basically said, hey, this year is going to be a year of evangelistic outreach. We're going to reach out to people seeking to lead them to faith in Christ throughout the year. And the way they would do that was not only, you know, were they going to do like, you know, large scale evangelistic events and things like that, but more specifically, they would do it through more like a simple one-on-one -on -one evangelistic efforts. So they were going to intentionally share their faith with family, friends, coworkers, acquaintances, and strangers. And, and through this simple approach, this one-on-one -on -one approach, they saw thousands, literally thousands of people come to faith in Christ during that year. I think they recorded like 29,000 conversions, and they have a church of about 10,000 people. They added a few thousand people to the congregation throughout the year. So, you know, as I was listening to that story, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to see our churches overflowing with new believers? You know, there, there's nothing quite like a new believer. And of course, all of us became believers at a certain point in our lives, right? So we remember back to those days where there was all of this excitement and this thrill about being a Christian. And, and because you were so excited and so thrilled about it, you couldn't really keep your mouth shut. And, you know, you wanted to talk to everybody and you annoyed a lot of people and things like that. But, you know, it, um, it also, God used it to, to bring other people to himself. So it would be amazing to see that. It would be amazing to hear story after story of how Christ has changed people's lives. 
Uh, I, I think we would all love that, right? Am I right? Would we, would we love to see that? I, I think we would, sure we would. But the, the question is, is this, how does that happen? Uh, well, I can't tell you exactly how it will happen, but I can tell you how it won't happen. It won't happen if we don't tell others about Jesus. We could sit, uh, you know, all year long, we could have a desire to see this happen. And all year long, we could even pray that it would happen. But unless we open our mouths and speak to people, it will not happen. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. So, so we have got to speak. Paul put it this way a little bit later in the epistle to the Romans. He said, he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And so that's what we want to do today. We want to look at this, and and basically I I broke it down in this way. We want to look at the why, the what, the how, the where, and the who of sharing the gospel. So first of all, why must we share the gospel? And And I'm using that word must because that word fits perfectly with Paul stating that necessity was laid upon him. It's an imperative. It's not like, you know, we ought to do this, but no, we, we must do this. Why must we share the gospel? Well, there are a few reasons. Number one, men and women will perish without the gospel. And, and I think a lot of times we don't think in these kinds of terms. People are literally perishing without the gospel. People who reject the gospel will die in their sin and they will be separated from God forever. That is a biblical truth. That's a hard truth, but it's, it is a biblical truth that is inescapable. Listen to what Paul said in writing to the Thessalonians. He said, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful, powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That is a reality. John 3.16, that wonderful passage that we'll look at again in a moment uh, that talks about God loving the world and you know, giving his son it's so that those who believe in him would not perish. So the implication even there is that for those who don't believe in him, they do perish. So men and women will be separated from God forever uh, if they do not receive the gospel. And the receiving the gospel is contingent, like we just read, upon hearing the gospel. How are they going to believe in somebody that they haven't heard of? And how are they going to hear unless someone preached to them? So men and women will perish, number one. Secondly, apart from Christ, people are held captive by the devil. People are held captive by the devil. Uh, Paul said this to Timothy in writing uh, in the second epistle to Timothy. He said, uh, he, he referred to people as being able to come to their senses and escape the snare or the trap of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. 
So men and women are held captive by the devil. And of course, the devil's plan is to destroy. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that, that the devil is a murderer and, and he's a liar. And so if you're held captive by Satan, his intent in that captivity is ultimately to destroy you. And this is what we see. We see people uh, in captivity to the devil and we see their lives being destroyed. And then thirdly, without the gospel, people are without God. They're without hope. They're without meaning and purpose in their lives. And Paul, again, you know, said something like that in writing to the Ephesians in the second chapter, the 12th verse, he's, he's speaking to them. He's talking about their former condition. And he says, you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So people without Christ are without God. And in the end, they really have no real hope. Many decades ago in New York City, around Easter time, uh, which overlaps with Passover, there was a, a well-known Jewish rabbi who was uh, speaking to his collective congregations. And he pointed out to them, ironically, he pointed out to them how they had no hope, but the Christians did. He, he said it. We have no hope. The Christians have hope because they believe that Jesus rose from the dead and there is a future beyond the grave. So, so this guy, this rabbi, he's admitting what is indeed the case. People without Christ really have no hope. And you can't live a, you know, a, a good life. You can't live a, a fruitful life. You can't flourish in life without any hope. Uh, you can't do any of those things in life without any meaning and of course, from meaning flows purpose. And so we have people all around us, us who are basically just aimlessly wandering through life. No meaning, no purpose, no hope, because they're disconnected from God and it's the gospel that is the means by which they will be connected to God. So for these reasons and others, we must proclaim the gospel. So that brings us to the second question. What is the gospel? Now, we're a church. We're most of us Christians. I can assume that. And we talk about the gospel. And, but, you know, sometimes we need to just stop and say, well, wait a second. Well, you know, just exactly what is the gospel? I remember years ago listening to an interview with uh, a number of religious leaders, and they were asked the question, what is the gospel? And it was amazing the things they said. I remember one man said, well, the gospel is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, no, it's not. I mean, that's a good thing, and it's a biblical thing to do, and Jesus said that we should do it, but that is not the gospel. Somebody else said, well, you know, the gospel is, is try to be a good person. Live according to the Ten Commandments. That is not the gospel. Again, the Ten Commandments, that's great. That's God's word, but that's not the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, I'm going to give you four succinct statements from the New Testament that tell us what the gospel is. So John 3.16, this is a statement declaring to us what the gospel is, and we all know it, but let me read it. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel right there. It's like the gospel in a nutshell. It's, it's the gospel in its, um, you know, it's just laid out there very, very succinctly, very simply. God loved the world. And because he loved the world, he gave his son. And he gave his son. We celebrated Christmas recently. We celebrated the, the incarnation, the coming of the son into the world. But this gave his son goes beyond the incarnation to the atonement. He gave his son as a sacrifice for our sin. That's what's being talked about. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is the gospel. Romans 4.25, Paul put it this way. Concerning Christ, he was delivered over to death for our sins or our offenses and was raised to life for our justification. So that's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for our sins. He was punished. That's the idea for our offenses. And he was raised up for our justification. Because Christ died for us, God can declare us righteous. That's what is stated in Romans 4, 25. In Romans 5, 19, Paul put it like this. For as by one man's disobedience, the one man is Adam. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Many here means everyone. Uh, also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So Adam is the one who disobeyed and we all became sinners. Christ is the one who obeyed. And for all who trust in him, we will be uh, given that, that righteousness. So again, Romans 5.19, that's just a, an encapsulated gospel right there. And then just one more place, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, chap, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, he just, you know, he's talking about the gospel there. The gospel that I preached to you, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So this is the gospel. We could go on and on with other, other verses. But, but what I want you to understand here is notice that all of this is very simple. It's all very simple. And we have to be careful because sometimes we can get, make it so complicated. Now, there is certainly a complex aspect to the gospel. And, and it's true what people have said, that the gospel, the gospel is so amazing that a child can understand it and embrace it and receive the full benefit from it. But the greatest, most brilliant theological mind will grapple with all of the implications of the gospel throughout an entire lifetime. I mean, that's the truth. But when we think about, you know, the presentation of the gospel in the sense that we're talking about, um, the simplest form is quite often the, the way that we need to present it. We, we don't want to complicate it. We want, you know, you might get into a conversation with some person who has that kind of brain capacity and, and needs somebody with equal brain capacity to really dig down deep and explain the full implications of, uh, you know, what, what it means, like what atonement means and what justification means and what propitiation means and all that. Okay, that's great. And, and we do that in, in certain contexts. But, but generally speaking, it's just the gospel in its simplest form, just like these statements are. 
because whether it's in its most complex form or its simplest form, it has the same power either way. It is amazing. You know, the gospel is like a seed and you put a seed in the ground and, and the seed contains the life. And, and all it has to do is just get stuck in the dirt and then it does its thing. And that's how the gospel is. And it's a, what I was going to say is it's amazing how some of, the, some of the great theological minds of history came to faith in Christ through just a simple presentation of the gospel, like a John 3.16. Somebody just told them, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him would not perish. And they believed it and their life was changed. So one of the things I think, like I said, that we have to be cautious about is, is getting it too complicated, losing the simplicity of it. When Paul said to the church in Rome, like we read, when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God to salvation, I want to come to you and preach it, he's talking about this simple message. This is the power of God to salvation. And so if we take these simple, clear, succinct statements regarding the gospel and we commit ourselves to you know understanding what they say and then just communicating them to other people this is how what we're talking about takes place this is how the gospel spreads this is how people get saved this is how the church fills up with new believers by communicating these things so how do we proclaim the gospel. Now, I, I referred, I titled the message, um, I used the word proclaim rather than preach. And I did that intentionally. Because when we think of preaching, I think commonly we think of something that a preacher does. And preaching can be intimidated. If I tell you, hey, you got to go out and preach the gospel, you're like, preach the gospel? Wow. What? Okay. I, I need a microphone. I need a platform, I, I need a crowd, I, you know, that's sometimes that's how, how preaching translates. And it, it does mean that, but it doesn't only mean that. And that's why I'm using the word proclaim, because proclaim is a better word just to understand what we're supposed to do. Uh, sometimes we preach it like I just described, but proclaiming it is, we're just communicating it, we're just getting it out there. So... How do we proclaim the gospel? Well, first of all, we just verbalize it. We just verbalize it. We just talk about it. And, and let me say that this is, I think in many ways, this is the, the simplest method of proclaiming the gospel in this idea of verbalizing it is telling your gospel story. Every single one of us who are believers today, we have a story about how we got here. We have a story about how we met Christ. And that story is powerful. Whether you don't have to have been like the biggest criminal that ever lived, or you know, the worst, most vilest sinner, or you know, uh, the most well-known celebrity uh, who was empty. No, it, it, your story, believe it or not, your story will resonate with more people than you can even imagine. It's your story. And in verbalizing the gospel, this is where we start. We just start by telling our story. Now, the second thing I would say is we want to articulate it. And the difference that I'm making between verbalizing and articulating is 
articulating it, we're able to tie it more closely to like the four passages that we just read. You know, years ago, my, one of my really dear friends, Joey Baran, some of you know Joey's name and some of you know Joey. Uh, Joey was a, a, a world-renowned surfer. Uh, he one year ranked seventh on the world tour. And he, in 1984, he won the Pipe Masters, the most prestigious uh, surf contest in the world. And so, you know, Joey was a celebrity. And when Joey really committed his life to, to Christ in a real serious way, um, he and I connected and I brought him on my staff back then and gave him, you know, basic training and, and so forth for ministry. But we used to go out. We actually had a surf movie that we made and we used to go out and we would show the movie and then Joey would get up and tell his story. He, he, would, he would do the first thing that we talked about. He was, he was verbalizing. He was telling the Joey Baran story. But I remember specifically a moment where Joey came to me and he said, Brian, I'm tired of telling the Joey Baran story. I, I just want to dig down more into the gospel. And so what that meant is that Joey was not going to, as he preached, he wasn't so much going to focus on his past or his story. He wanted to take John 3.16 or Romans 4.25 or Romans 5.19 or 1 Corinthians 15.3.4. He wanted to take that and he wanted to explain that. And that's what I mean by articulating the gospel. So story verbalizing, great place to start. But we want to add, we want to go beyond the story. We want to add that, that more biblical content. And that's why I gave you these verses. There are many others. But, you know, as you take these verses, John 3.16, for example, you know, you can take it verbatim and you can just state it but you can also take it, and I kind of did it a little bit earlier, where you, I was going to use the word exegete it. That is a good word, but it's probably not the word that everybody understands. The, you can explain it. So for God so loved the world. You can explain who God is. God's a creator. He's the one who made everything. And he so loved the world. Who's the world? The world is everybody, every single human being that ever lived. God so loved the world that he gave. And like I said, he gave. He sent his son into the world, Christmas. Uh, but then there's another level that he gave. He gave in uh, a sacrifice, the atonement. You can explain that. Um, he, he gave his one and only son. You can, you can go into detail on the uniqueness of Jesus. He's the one and only son of God. There's no one like him and, you know, that we should not perish. I mean, you can even talk about the first point that we made. People are perishing. So you understand what I'm saying? You can take these verses and the more you understand them and meditate on them, then as you're articulating the gospel, you're explaining it with this, this textual uh, basis underneath it. And so we should do both. But the easiest place, the simplest place to start is with our own story. Now, let me just say one thing. Maybe you think, well, I don't have a really good story. My story's kind of boring. It's not. It's not. It's not boring. It's not insignificant. And, and there are people out there that are going to resonate with your story, regardless of what you think about it. And you don't have to embellish it. <laughs> My wife will tell you the funniest story 
about that. Now, you know Cheryl, uh, she grew up in the Jesus People movement. Uh, she's a kid, you know, she's 12 or 13 years old. Hippies are everywhere. Everybody's coming off drugs. Uh, the junior high pastor at the time, they take a team of, of young kids out to Palm Springs to do some witnessing to the hippies. And Cheryl goes up and she starts sharing the Lord with this little group of hippies. And they're like, hey, kid, what do you know? She goes, well, you know, I, I smoked a, a reefer before. And they're like, no, you didn't. She's like, well, uh, you know, she was stumped. Later on, the pastor, who was actually, the junior high pastor was Bill Welsh, who pastored Refuge Huntington Beach. Bill pulled Cheryl aside at the age of 13 and said, Cheryl, it's okay. You don't need to make up a testimony. Just share, just share who you are. That'll, that'll be sufficient. She tells that story, so I could, I could tell it as well. But, you know, sometimes we think that, right? We think, well, what's my story? So we'll add a little bit to it. You don't have to do that. Just tell your story. The gospel itself, that the power's in the gospel. So verbalizing it, articulating it. And then, listen, I'm, I'm making these simpler as we go. Well, the verbalization was pretty simple. But, you know, again, sometimes we just make it too complicated. You know, pointing people to Jesus. John the Baptist... He's got these guys following him. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, uh, Philip. And Andrew, or, or they, they come to John. And, and John just says this. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was it. He just pointed them to Jesus. And you know, sometimes that's all we need to do. We just point people to Jesus. You know, you might be in a conversation with somebody and you might, and they might say something. You say, you know, Jesus actually, he said something about that. And just tell them, Cheryl, <laughs> doing Cheryl's stories here today, unintentionally. But uh, she used to go to Curves. Ladies, you know what Curves was? I think it's a past tense thing, right? It's a little like exercise place, workout place. And this story is so funny because she's in the Curves thing and she's been going for months and she intentionally went to be around some unbelievers. And she said they, um, one of them threw out, and I can't even remember what it was, but it was like, let's just say it was like, love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't that. It was something a, a little more specifically Jesus thing. Uh, but they're like, who said this? And all around the, the circle of ladies, they're, oh, Plato said it, or Oprah said it, or, you know. <laughs> and Cheryl's like, Jesus, Jesus said it. And, you know, finally they hear her saying, Jesus said it. They're like, what? Jesus, no, I don't think Jesus said it. Cheryl said, believe me, Jesus said it. <laughs> she knows what Jesus said. And, uh, but, it, but it was one of those things. Like, you know, you're pointing people to Jesus. So a conversation comes up and you say, hey, well, did you know that Jesus actually spoke about that? So you see, I mean, that, that's kind of simple. You can do that in conversation. There's a lot of talk in the culture today about all kinds of things that we could interject the, did you know what Jesus said about that? So something like that, pointing people to Jesus. Also, even pointing people to the word. Um, there's a, a scholar, a Cambridge scholar named Peter J. Williams, and Peter's a, a New Testament scholar. And he recently wrote a book called uh, You Can Trust the Gospels, or Can You Trust the Gospels? It's a question. And of course, he writes the book, Yes, You Can Trust the Gospels. 
And I was watching an interview with him or listening to a podcast or something. And it was so brilliant what he said. He said, you know, and he wrote the book to assure Christians, you can trust the gospels. And he said, so just try to get people to read the gospels. And I thought, yes. You know, we're always looking for like the ultimate Bible track. Guess what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's the ultimate Bible track. It's right there. It's, it's Jesus. And he said that, and I thought, yeah, that is right. And, and again, you know, people, you know how it is. I mean, we live in this culture where there's the, the, kind of this atheistic thing that's, that's now become a popular thing. But you know, most people, probably 99% of people who claim to be atheists, you know, they've never even read the Bible. They've never read the Gospels. And so, again, we might simply point people to Jesus. We might point them to Jesus through the biblical text and say, well, you know, why don't you read this? And I guarantee you, you, you get somebody to read the gospel, in any one of the gospels. But you get somebody to read the gospel and, you know, you just, and, and Peter Williams said this. He said, basically, you just point him to the word and then turn it over to God. And I thought, that's, that's a great strategy right there because God is able and so we point people to Jesus. A third uh, thing to consider is to invite them to come and see. Now, Jesus did this himself back in that early part of the Gospel of John there where John pointed, you know, uh, to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And then those two disciples, they went to Jesus and they asked him, uh, you know, some questions and and. At a certain point, Jesus just said this to them. To their inquiry, he said, come and see. And you know, this is another way that we can reach out with the gospel, just inviting uh, people to come and see. Come and see. Oh, you've heard this and you've heard that and you've heard the other thing and Christians are hypocrites and they only want your money or, you know, all of those kinds of negative things that we hear. Uh, you can just say, well, you know, that's not been my experience. Why don't you come and see? Come and see. Or maybe, maybe you have a person that you know who is really good at this whole evangelism thing. This whole, just sharing the gospel with people. Maybe you know somebody who's like that. So you've got your unbelieving friend or neighbor or whoever it is that you're engaging with. And you're like, man, I, I want to introduce you to my friend. You know, you feel like I, I'm, I'm not really adequate at this. Uh, okay. But maybe you have a friend that, that is, and you say, well, let, let's, let's bring them together. Th this past week, um, I, I sat in a class and I announced this last service, so I'll do it here too. Um, I decided at 62 years old, I didn't really have enough to do in life, so I decided to go back to school. So uh, I started school last Monday and I sat in a class all week and it was absolutely amazing, it was wonderful. Um, but in the class, there was a man, a lecturer, who spoke to us, his name is Carl George, and. Uh, a man who's very um, well-known in, in certain circles of church growth and evangelism and things like that. Um, but he was talking about how uh, when, when he was young, and he just had this, this real passion to see people come to know Christ, but he always felt kind of awkward. But he knew certain people that were, he, he talked about his father-in-law. 
He said, my father-in-law, man, that guy could lead anybody to Christ. And he said, and I knew that. So when there were times where I felt stumped, I was just going to try to get this person as close to my father-in-law as I possibly could, because I knew that he would, uh, you know, he would, he would be able to, to really, you know, make the connection. And, and again, you know, this is all of these ways are different ways that, that God will use. Come and see. You're, you're inviting them to come, uh, you know, maybe to come to a church service. Maybe you, you're like, okay, I, this person needs to know the Lord, but I know that I'm, I'm not really the person that's going to do it. So invite them to church. Invite them to a Bible study. Invite them into a place. Invite them over for dinner. Take them out for coffee. Get that person with you or, you know, that, go to that place where that, you know, th- this person's really going to have an impact. Think about those things. Be creative when it comes to that. And then one more. Um, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And it is through, oftentimes, Christians engaging in the life of the community and doing the things that Jesus taught us to do, that's how the door gets opened. You know, more and more these days uh, where, where there's kind of a negative view of Christians among some people, what, what happens is when they see your good works, they're like, well, yeah, I know that on the media they say this and on Twitter they say that, but man, I saw these Christians in action. You know, when there was a hurricane, they came, they labored, they stayed, they loved, they helped. I want to hear what they have to say. And so it doesn't have to be a hurricane doesn't have to be an earthquake. It can just be, you know, you're going into your community. You're doing some sort of service as a follower of Jesus. And that's opening the door for then, for you to then verbally communicate. Uh, number four, who needs the gospel? Well, who needs the gospel? Everybody needs the gospel, right? Everybody needs the gospel, but that's kind of big. It's like everybody, all 8 billion people need the gospel. But then also anybody needs the gospel. And what's the difference between anybody and everybody? Well, everybody is everybody and anybody is the person standing right in front of you. It's the person closest to you. That that person probably needs the gospel. So, but think about this. The open ones are the ones that we want to look for. Did you know that God is actually working on people before you ever show up on the scene? And that is such a great thing to know. How many of you have ever had that experience where you're, you know, you're wanting to talk to somebody about the Lord, you finally get up the courage to do it. And then as you start talking to them, they start telling you, well, you know, this week I prayed that God would give me a sign or something. And here you are, you're talking to me now. That happens all the time. Now, there are certainly people that aren't open. There, there are plenty of people that are not open. And, you know, maybe God will use you at times to kind of get a foot in the door. You're the first person that gets a foot in the door with them. Okay, that's fine. But remember, there are people that God has already prepared. So pray that the Lord will lead you to the ones that he's already prepared. Or pray that the Lord will prepare the ones that you feel like he's leading you to. Because there are people that are open presently to the gospel, they just need to hear it. They just need to hear it. 
And listen, the open people are oftentimes the people whose lives are unsettled. I would imagine, it's not universal, but, it, but I know it, it's a high percentage of people, if you were to ask them, you know, what were the circumstances that led you ultimately to faith in Christ? You'd have to say, I was in some sort of a crisis. It was some kind of a crisis that, that, that jolted me, that broke me out of my um, lethargy or disinterest or, or whatever the case. Remember Jesus said that uh, um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom. What is he talking about? Well, a rich person is, uh, they're, they're secure in their wealth. They, they, don't, they don't see that they have a need. What's the problem? I got, I got everything I need. So that kind of a person, Jesus said, it's harder for that kind of a person to get into the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Well, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle is literally impossible. And the, and the apostles themselves said, Lord, who then can be saved? And he said, well, with God, all things are possible. But that's the thing. You see, it's people in times of distress, that's when they begin to open up to the Lord. Maybe, maybe some of you remember, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's about David. And, you know, David at this time, he's exiled. He's running from Saul. He's been anointed king. He will be king in the future, but right now that's not the case. But there's an interesting passage in Samuel that says this. It says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. And that was true of David. That is true of David's greater son, Jesus, the son of David. You see, you will find that many, many who would share their story, they would share a story of distress, indebtedness, discontentment. And they found the answer to all of those things in Jesus Christ. So remember that. Keep that in mind. it's, It's when a person is in crisis, God allows these crises to come along to shake them out of that which they're trusting in to open them up to the gospel. And so if you know somebody who's in a crisis, this is a key time to pray for an opportunity there. And now let me say this, and this is why, because of this, this, it's kind of a principle because it's so consistent but this is why, this idea of you know, people in distress, this is why we need to think, listen, we need to think Christianly about immigrants and others who are discontented in debt or distressed. We need to think Christianly. That's how we need to think. And believe me, Christianly, and conservatively are not synonyms many of the times. And I know some people don't like that. They don't like to hear that. That's reality. We are Christians first and foremost. We need to think Christianly, meaning we need to think about immigrant people. We need to think about those people that we might say, I don't want those people moving into my neighborhood. Because people say that. But listen, God is doing the church a huge favor 
He's bringing the mission field to us. See, those people, he wants to save them. And quite often, it's the distress that they're in that's going to be the, the, the thing that's going to open the door for them. It's, it's the discontentment with their current situation. That's going to be the very thing that opens them to the gospel. And, and it's absolutely true. You know, so many people have come from a, a different part of the world, come from a different place. They, they, they've been, you know, they, they've left that place or they've been forced out of that place or whatever the case it is because of distress, uh, debt, discontentment. And they've come and they've come to a place where they can actually hear the gospel and they've received it. And so we need to think Christianly about these things. These are the, these are the very people the distressed, the in debt, the discontented. These are the ones that back in David's day attached themselves to him. And that is, of course, a historical event that really happened. And so the author records it. But there's a spiritual message in that for us as well. Because we're serving the son of David, Jesus Christ. And he's doing the same thing. And so as we close... Do you know what I'd love to see? Well, I'd love to see these seats here filled up with new believers. Now, I'm happy when somebody decides that, you know, maybe the church that they're at, they've been there a while or, or whatever. They, you know, for whatever reason, they feel like, you know, I, I need something fresh. I need to move on. I'm, I'm happy that people, you know, find, can find a home here and be blessed and, you know, continue their journey with the Lord. I'm happy for that. But... I, I would rather fill the empty seats with new believers, <laughs> wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be amazing to have just a bunch of people that are newly born into Christ and who are so thrilled about being a Christian that they can't stop talking about it? You know, that, that will reignite your own faith. Because you see somebody like that, and first of all, you're convicted, like, wow, what happened to me? I used to be like that. I don't know what happened. Uh, but then it, it not only convicts you, it forces you in a direction because they're going, hey, could you pray with me? Hey, could you talk? Hey, could you tell me what the Bible means here? Like, hey, would you disciple me? You're like, oh, what? I don't know. I, you know. I haven't done any of that for decades. But yes, okay, I will. So I'm praying. That, that's, I'd love to see that. With people from every tribe, language, nation, ethnicity, that's what we want. We want to see everyone worshiping King Jesus, the Lord of Lords. That's my prayer for the year to come. And so let's pray. Let's pray to that end. But let's not just pray. See, we got to pray. But if that's all we do is pray, then nothing's going to happen. Remember, as we pray that God will do this, God's saying, right, amen, yes, I'm going to do it. And guess what? I'm going to do it with you. You're going to be the one. You're going to go open your mouth. You're going to go talk to that person. You're going to point them to Jesus. You're going to invite them to come and see. You're going to tell them your story. You're going to articulate the, the gospel to them. So let's speak to people. And let's remember that we must speak because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So let's speak to people about Jesus. Let's point people to Jesus. Let's invite people to come and see. But if we leave here today 
with the mentality that this is an urgent matter and the time is short and this is, this is a mandate. This is a mandate from heaven. This, this is what God tells us to do. And, and I would love to see us, you know, I'm not going to ask anybody to sign a contract or anything like that, but I would love to see us just say, you know, yes, Lord, I'm going to commit to 2019. Uh, I, I'm going to commit myself to this. I want to have that same conviction that it is a necessity to proclaim the gospel. And Lord, however, uh, you know, however I do that, I'm going to commit to doing it and you help me to do it. And I promise you he will. And I promise you that we will see the desired effect. And so Lord, we do pray for that today. We pray today that you might, um, Lord, stir our hearts and use us and help us to seize the moment. Help us, Lord, to um, recognize the opportunities that are before us. Help us, Lord, to think like this, to think about how people need the gospel and how we are the dispensers of that great truth that will transform them, that will uh, give them a place in heaven, that will deliver them from future judgment. Lord, that will set them free from the power of the devil. And Lord, that will give them hope and meaning and purpose. Lord, may that become the great passion of our hearts as your people here at your church. So work in us that you might work through us. And while we're praying today, if there's a single person here, maybe you're hearing all of this and on the one hand, you're like, okay. Uh, but on the other hand, you realize that you don't know the Savior and you are on the road that is perishing and you're held captive by the devil and you don't have hope and there is no meaning or purpose in your life. And you say, I, I want to change. I, I want that. If that's you today, know that the Lord is inviting you to open your heart and come to him. And if you just say right now, just in your heart, with your lips, just say, Lord Jesus, I want that. Come into my life. He will do that. And I encourage you to do that. And so, Lord, bless now as we go. Use us. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.